The Earth is thought to have been formed about 4.6 billion years ago by collisions in the giant disc-shaped cloud of material that also formed the Sun. Gravity slowly gathered this gas and dust together into clumps that became asteroids and small early planets called planetismals. One of the earliest defining human traits, bipedalism, the ability to walk on two legs, evolved over four million years ago. The explanation for humanity's existence is based on random, unorchestrated events. This is what I used to believe. So I started a relationship with this guy. Um, he was a devout atheist. And um, when we started dating, I believed in God, but that was about as far as it went. And I remember we were talking and he asked me a question. He said, why do you believe in God? And I said, well, just because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to believe in God. And we started talking more and he started showing me these videos um, by, these, by these famous atheists, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and they were talking about the science behind atheism and why, why there is no God. Um, and so it was in that time that I decided I was gonna be an atheist. Um, I just believed that there was no God. There was all these awful things happening in the world. How could there be this, this loving God that Christians always talk about when all these terrible things are happening? And it was through all of that that I met a guy um, at work and he was a Christian and all he ever wanted to talk to me about was Jesus. And for me, as an atheist, I thought, well, this is perfect. Someone that I work with that I can constantly debate with. Um, he was so patient with me and so kind that I knew something was different, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I remember one specific day he asked me a question, what is your hope in? And I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's a pretty good question. What is my hope in? That was the one question that science could never answer for me. Um, he eventually ended up inviting me to go to Unite. Uh, and I thought, oh, this is gonna be pretty funny. So I went and I checked it out and um, I laughed the entire time. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, this is, this is such a joke. Um, but it was over time that I started to feel different. And I realized that I was definitely missing something. I thought I had all of the answers that science could give. And it actually turned out that I was missing so much. I was completely empty inside and I had no idea anything. I didn't know where anything came from. Um, so I kept going to Unite. I kept going to church. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. And I decided that I was going to start following Jesus. And it was kind of a crazy moment how that happened. Um, I remember I was sitting there and Chris was preaching on um, hope and why Christians believe what they believe. And I was listening and I was just like, this sermon was written for me. This, this sermon hit directly at home. It hit me um, right where what I needed to hear, right when I needed to hear it. And I just broke down, I just started crying. Um, I ended up breaking up with the guy that I was with and I kept going to Unite and I kept chasing after Jesus and my life has, has not been the same since then. 
So I did eventually end up marrying the guy that I had met at work that talked to me about Jesus. Um, he not only led me to Jesus, but he also just stole my heart with how amazing that he was. Um, we've been married for four years now, and God has been doing some incredible things in my life since that time when I accepted him. Um, I'm now leading other people in their walks with Jesus. Um, I'm mentoring people and pouring into people that are younger than me uh, and just helping them to see uh, the, tr the true love that comes with having relationship with Jesus. So if you're watching this and you're that person that feels like there's no purpose, that you, weren't a, that you don't exist for a reason, I would just say to you that God knit you together. He knows every hair on your head. The God that created every single star in the sky, every blade of grass on the ground, he knows you by name. He is willing and able to, to, to be there for you for every moment, to help you in every situation, and to pull you out and forgive you no matter how many times you screw up. All you have to do is call out to him. All you have to do is ask and he will be there. My name is Nikki and I am Metro. One of the strange things about Christianity, or maybe it's religion in general, is this whole idea of belief, right? Why do we have to believe anything? Why do we have to have faith in something? Why can't we just know, right? I mean, if, if God is so big and so great and so glorious and so personal like we hear about all the time, why is it so difficult to believe? Why does doubt come so naturally? Uh, you know, nobody has to tell me that I'm married. Nobody has to convince me that I'm married. I know that I'm married. It's like, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. No, I, I just know that I'm married, right? Nobody has to convince me or I don't have to believe that I am the father of my children. It's not like, God, give me the faith to know that these kids are mine. No, I know that they are mine, right? But, but it's this idea that, that faith is required to believe in God. And why is it required at all? Why doesn't God, if he is so extraordinary, why does he leave room for doubt? Why do we have to figure out how to believe? As a matter of fact, there is this very interesting little passage in the Bible. It's right in the middle of the New Testament. It's in the book of Romans. And, and, and the guy who's writing Romans is trying to help people to believe, trying to help people overcome their doubt. And this is what he says. He, he basically says that, that faith or, or belief should come easy to you. But I don't know that that's always true for us. Here, here's how he writes it in the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 19. He says it like this. He says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Pause for a second. It's not obvious to everybody in this room, is it? It's not. Let's just be honest. It's not. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal powers and his divine nature so that they have no, what's this word? Excuse for not knowing God. And, and friends, I think there's a whole bunch of us that hear this and we go, yeah, that's true. I just know it. It's in me. I know it. It comes easy for me. But there's also a whole bunch of us in this room that that doesn't ring so true, that it's very difficult to believe, that we struggle in this thing called belief. Uh, as a matter of fact, to be honest, I have several friends, several family members 
that grew up very devout, that walked with this God of the Bible for a very long time, but in recent days have walked away. They've turned away. They have now have this struggle for belief. And it just seems to me that this idea of being a skeptic, this idea of being a doubter, it actually comes easy to a whole bunch of us. And I'll admit, um, if I'm completely honest, I've had my struggles. I've had my doubts. Like many of you, I've had to wrestle through with what do I believe about God, about the Christian faith, about the Bible. Maybe it's just because of my nature. Maybe by nature, I'm a skeptic. Maybe by nature, I'm a doubter. I want to know things. I don't want to just know about them. I want to know them, right? And, and so many, maybe you're like me and you struggle to believe sometimes. The truth is, friends, uh, this whole series is going to be built around this little understanding that the Bible says it should be easy for us to believe, but it's not. And so we want to unpack that a little bit. We want, to, we want to figure this out because the truth is more and more and more Americans are moving away from God, or maybe more specifically, they're moving away from religion or the organized church, right? Um, they've disconnected from religion altogether, or maybe they've disconnected from the faith of their childhood altogether. And it's, I don't think it's because they have found some deep truth in atheism. I don't think that's the majority of people. I really don't. I don't think that they've thought about it and they thought, wow, the, the atheist worldview, the atheist understanding of how life works is for them. I don't think that that is the issue. I just think that for many, many people, they've moved away from the God of their childhood because simply the God of their childhood has become so unappealing to them. They've moved away from this thing called the church because the church and all of its entrapments have become so unappealing to them. And again, I don't think it's because they've investigated all the claims of atheism. I just think that they look around at what they see has been presented as the Christian faith and they find it completely unengaging, unstimulating, unchallenging to them. And they've walked away from it. And so I think that the world is, is undergoing a shift. I think our world, our, our, our country is undergoing a shift. When we were growing up, many of us, we, we were told that the answer is found in God. Remember this? Like you were told like, well, hey, people need to get back to church and that'll straighten them out, right? It, it'll help us. That was the source of truth. And so we were encouraged to, to know God. We were encouraged to go back to church. But somewhere in the last 15 or 20 years, everything has flipped in our world. Everything has flipped. And now people in our world, by and large, see the church or Christianity really as the problem, or at least part of the problem in our, our world. As a matter of fact, there was a debate fairly recently be, be between this very famous atheist and this very famous Christian, and they were kind of going at it about this idea of atheism, and they were, it was a, you know intellectual kind of a debate, and they were going back and forth, and finally the Christian asked this very famous atheist, he says, well, if there's evil in this world, where does that evil come from? What is the source of that evil? And the atheist was very quick in his response. He said, the source of evil is religion, is religion. And what was striking to me was the way the crowd reacted. The whole crowd just burst out in cheer. The whole crowd reacted positively toward that statement. And so immediately following 9-11, I don't know if you remember that event, you should, right? It changed the world. Uh, after 9-11, this man named Sam Harris, he's a very famous atheist and he's a writer and he wrote a book that he later published and it was called The End of the Faith or End of Faith and the subtitle was Religion, Ter Terror, and the Future of Reason. And, and in this book, basically it was a scathing critique of all things religious, especially the Christian faith, right? He passionately and convincingly went after Christianity saying that it was not only part of the problem, 
but more than likely, it is the problem in our world. And guess what? This book stood on top of the New York Times bestseller list for 33 straight weeks. A little bit after that, a short time after that, one of the more famous atheists in the whole world, a man named Richard Dawkins, published his most successful book. It was called The God Delusion. Super smart guy, an Oxford professor, a PhD level guy, and he writes passionately about atheism, but he doesn't just write about atheism. In this book, The, the God Delusion, he takes all that he knows about atheism and he aims straight at the head of Christianity. He aims, aims straight at the eyes of Christianity and he, and he literally goes after it to tear it apart systematically bit by bit. And here's what he says is the intention of this book. At the very beginning of the God delusion, here's what Richard Dawkins writes. He says, if this book works as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheists when they put it down. They'll be atheists when they put it down. He sold over 3 million copies of that book in 30 different languages. That same year, another guy named Christopher Hitchens published a very famous book called God is Not Great with the subtitle, How Religion Poisons everything. And Dawkins and Hitchens and a whole bunch of these guys propose this idea that religion is the problem, that God is not the answer, but God is actually the problem. And immediately these these men and women who write like this, they became rock stars in our country. They, they started doing book tours and college lecture tours and television tours. And, and it was because they gave voice to something that was already happening in our, in our world. They gave voice to what was already starting in our culture, what people were already thinking, that God is not the answer. That maybe God's not real at all. And that maybe science has all the answers for us. And this group of men and women who began to write like this, and the people who followed this thinking became known as what they called the new atheists. The New Atheist Movement. And in the New Atheist Movement, it's this aggressive manifesto to eliminate faith, not only from the American landscape, but literally from the world. But here's what's interesting. Ever since this massive dump of writing about atheism and this intellectual thought about atheism over the last 10 or 20 years has really come, poured into the American landscape. What's really interesting, it's not like hundreds and hundreds of thousands or millions of people have suddenly moved from their religious views into the world of atheism. It's not like they've overnight checked the box and said, I'm now an atheist because of these books. But there is something that has gone on and that there has been this move that has been away from the organized church. There has been this move away from all things religious, not specifically embracing atheism, but embracing the idea that religion doesn't have the answer. As a matter of fact, there's a whole new category of people that has just emerged in the last couple of years when it comes to these religious surveys and trying to figure out the American landscape and culture of religion. And what's so interesting is that this new group of people has become known as the nuns. The nuns, they become known as the nuns. The nuns are essentially a new category of people who are saying we're not affiliated with anything. We're not, we're not embracing anything. We're not espousing anything. We're just simply disconnected from religious thought. We're not Christian. We're not atheist. We're not Muslim. We're not agnostic. We're just none of those things. We don't know what we are. All we know is we don't really care. And so they've just checked out. Now, this group of nuns is not to be uh, you know, confused with the other group of nuns that is these cute, adorable old ladies who wear black and work for the Catholic Church. That's a whole different group of nuns. You guys realize that, right? Okay, that's a whole different group. But, but these nuns, uh, they, about 23, get this, about 23% of the U.S. population, when asked in surveys what 
religious affiliation. They don't check the box Christian. They don't check the box atheist. They check the box none. They're simply not affiliated. Uh, typically, primarily, they're educated people. Primarily, they're left of center politically. Uh, typically, they're more male than female. The nuns are theologically simply apathetic. They don't care, and they don't feel like they need to know anything about God. And what's interesting is most nuns say that they're not hostile toward religion. They simply don't care about it. So, so here's the thing. I can't speak uh, about all religions, obviously, and I can't even speak for all Christians, obviously, right? But this migration from the Christian faith or from the Christian faith of our childhood or this organized religious sort of a faith, the God of the Bible sort of a faith, and it's been enormous. There's been this massive migration. It is primarily our fault. It primarily lays at the feet of people like me who lead churches. It's because of the language we use. It lays primarily at the feet of people like us who gather week in and week out to espouse this faith in God. But somehow, we've lost our ability to communicate our message. Or maybe we have uh, communicated our message completely wrong. Or maybe we have confused our message. Because I think oftentimes what has happened in, in the church world is that we have Americanized Christianity. We have modernized Jesus to fit our liking. But I don't think it's the nun's fault at all or the atheist's fault at all. I don't think it's because they, I think it's because they simply have confused what the real Jesus is all about because we, listen, we, me and you, we have done a terrible job of, of getting our message out. And here's why I think this. Here's why I think this. Because if you were to go back to the original stories of Jesus and to the original writings about Jesus, to those who looked at his life and they wrote it down, people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who followed Jesus around and they wrote about his life, here's what you would see. Here's what you would see. You would see that Jesus, as he engaged people, all sorts of people, particularly the non-religious people, guess what they thought about Jesus? They liked him. They liked him. And guess what? Jesus liked them as well. It wasn't his message. I think so much of the world is pushing against the church and the God of the Bible and the Bible itself and God himself. They're pushing against the messengers. And so I think it's time that we unpack this a little bit. Um, I think that, that so many people have not really truly embraced atheism. I just think that they find what we do so unappealing. And friends, if that's you, maybe we have presented the wrong version of Jesus to you. Friends, if you are out there and you're going, yeah, 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 I was so into it when I was a kid, but I, as I've grown up, the God of the Bible hasn't grown up with me and it's just completely unappealing to you. Maybe it's our fault and we have presented the wrong version of Jesus. Like I, I have all these friends that have literally walked away from faith. And when I start to to listen to their stories of why they walked away from faith. It breaks my heart. It just makes me so sad. I, I want to say, wait, 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 wait. That's not the real Jesus anyways. That's not the real God of the Bible anyways. You're walking away, but you don't have to walk away. Matter of fact, the, the whole version of the idea of faith that you have in your mind, it actually is childish and it needs to grow up and it can grow up if you simply look in the right areas for the right answers. And so I think that there are all these very hard questions that deserve thoughtful and honest responses. And my hope is, over the next several weeks together, that we will do just that. That we will tackle very difficult, very hard questions with honest and thoughtful answers. 
And, and so, in this series, I want to address those sorts of things, and I want to give some rationale and some reason for this thing called faith, and, and I want to try to answer some of those hard questions, and I, and I can tell you that I've been studying like crazy, and I've been working on this like crazy, and, and here's what I intend to do. I intend to bring some of the very best thought that I can find from people like Andy Stanley and people like John MacArthur and John Piper and people like Sean McDowell and Dinesh D'Souza, all these incredible thinkers about these sort of issues. And my hope is, is that I can kind of weed through some of that and bring some of the very best thinking about these subjects to you. And if you're willing to think with me through these, I think we're going to take some steps together. Y'all with me on this? And so I don't think there's a whole lot of original thought that I can bring to this. But what I hope to do is bring it in a way that maybe you haven't been presented before with. My hope is, is that I can repackage some of this so that you will discover, and I'm going to tell you my agenda. I'll just be open and honest with you. My, my hope is, is that if you're like in the nun category, if you're like in the atheist sort of a category, if you're like checking out and you're saying, I don't know if I believe this anymore and I'm not sure I can believe this anymore. I'm not sure if any of this is real anymore. If that's you, my hope is by the time that we're done together, that you'll find that taking time out of your life to investigate the claims of Christ and investigate the true claims of Christianity, that it'll be well worth it to you. And that maybe you can take some steps toward faith. Maybe you can take some steps toward God even. Y'all right with that? Are we on the same page? And so here's where I think the discussion needs to start. Here's where we need to begin our discussion about this idea of belief. Um, you probably already know this, but I want to put these into words for you. You cannot step away from something without moving towards something else. Let me say that again. You cannot step away from something without moving toward something else. So for those of you who have said, you know, I've just sort of lost my faith, I've sort of outgrown it, I've grown up, and my faith didn't grow up with me. The, the truth is, whether you realize it or not, once you decide to start moving away from this thing called faith, you move toward something else. And if we are not careful, and if you are not careful, you may end up landing somewhere where you never intended to be. You might end up believing some things that you never intended to believe. And so I think it is worth talking about. So, so let me explain this a little bit. These guys called uh, the new atheists, right? They've redefined atheism for us. They've repackaged it for us. And one of the things, if you read their, their literature, it's overwhelming that this idea that atheism is more than just, hey, I don't believe in a God. It's way more than that. It's way bigger than that. Just like Christianity is way bigger than just, hey, I believe in God. It's way bigger than that. And so atheism is actually this complex belief system that logically leads to some unsettling conclusions. Let me explain this a little bit. Atheism is this complex belief system that logically leads to some unsettling conclusions. And, and you, you should know this. Not just because, not, I'm, I'm not trying to go after this idea that atheism is wrong tonight. As a matter of fact, I want, you to, I want to be very clear. I am not at all intending to try to prove to you that atheism is wrong, nor... Am I trying to prove to you that theism or belief in God is correct? I'm not, I'm not trying to prove either one. What I'm hoping to do is to make you realize tonight that when you leave something, you end up somewhere else, that you move towards something else, and that if you leave this thing called faith, 
you end up drifting toward, whether you mean it or not, you end up drifting toward this thing called atheism, a worldview without God in the center of it. And there are some things in that worldview that come with believing that. There are some things about atheism that just come with it. It is the logical conclusion of atheism. And I think some of those things we need to talk about because, because, listen, there are some very unsettling conclusions with atheism. Very unsettling. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true. I'm not saying it's not true or not. I'm just saying it, it's very unsettling. And something can be untrue, or excuse me, something can be unsettling and not be a truth test, right? You understand this, right? So you can have something that's unsettling and true at the same time. Here's, here's the example. Your teenage daughter's boyfriend. Unsettling, but true. You've met him. He's real, very unsettling, but it's true, right? So something can be very unsettling and true at the same time. And, and, and friends, I, I just want to get us around this idea that when you step away from something, it may take you to a place you never thought you would be and a place, if you really thought about it, that you don't want to be. And so we want to get around some of these ideas. And I'm going to give you some ideas that I think are very unsettling, at least to me, about this thing called atheism. And I want you to think these through because I think that these are the logical conclusions. These are the logical ending spots for this worldview called atheism. You may want to write these down. You may want to take pictures of these. But I want you to think deeply about these things. And the first one is this. Um, it, it's called the illusion, what we're going to call the illusion of the mind. The illusion of mind. The illusion of mind is, is that the, the, the idea that with atheism, let me tell you something, there is no mind. There is no mind. If we are governed by the laws of physics or the laws of biology or the laws of chemistry, if we are simply a function of chemistry, then there is no mind. Let me say it another way. There is no you in you. You're only biology. You're only the result of this happenstance. You're only a result of this random explosion of cells, this random growth of cells. There's no you inside of you. You're just governed by chemistry. And the best illustration of this actually comes from a very famous atheist. His name is Christian Hitchens, a very famous guy. He wrote, God is not great. Well, what's interesting is he died back in 2011, and it was a terrible, painful death. He died of cancer, and it was a battle for him, and it was, it was really a tragedy for him and his family. Um, but along the ways, uh, along the way, doctors said stuff that maybe you have heard doctors say before. They come into his room and he records that they would say stuff like, well, your body is beginning to shut down. Your body is rejecting the medicine. Your body is not reacting the way we thought it was going to react. Or your body, your body, your body, your body. And Hitchinson, Hitchens, one time he writes in his, his book, God is Not Great, he ends up writing this. He says, in response to the doctor, he said he lashed out at the doctors and he wrote this, I don't have a body, I am a body. Pause. Think about that. What was he saying? He was so convinced of this atheistic worldview that he is just a biological reaction, that he's just a chemical reaction, that he's just this collection of cells, that he's telling the doctors, don't separate me from my body. There is no you and your body. There's just your body. Friends, the you is the part of you that makes you you, the part of you that thinks for itself and that is separate. So your body can be broken. Anybody in the room, your body doesn't do what you want, but you still have a mind. You still have a heart. You still have a soul. You still have beliefs. You still have understanding. It is that part of you that makes you you. That's that part of you that makes you unique. And Hitchens was saying, I don't have that. I'm just a body. I'm just a chemical reaction. Now let me pause for a second. You try living that out just for a day. 
You try living out this idea that you're just a chemical reaction, yet you're just biology. Like for me, my wife, she's just biology. My kids are just biology. Try living that out, right? Friends, it is really hard to live that out because there's something that we know about you is that you want to be treated respectfully because of you, because of who you are, right? There's a part of you that, um, think, think about this, like if you follow the, the news, if you follow the news, uh, you, you're hearing all kinds of things about way that, the way that men, some men, are treating women. Anybody following the news? They're, they're treating women horribly. If, if there's just a body that is chemically based, can we blame men for following their biology? Come on. Can we blame men for following their biology? If you aren't you, but you're just your body, can we ever hold anybody accountable? And this is closely related to the second illusion. Here, write this down or think about this. It's this illusion of free will. There is no room in the world of atheist thinking. There, there has to be no room for free, world, uh, free, free will because in a world that is governed by physics and biology, there's no room for decision-making. True atheism leads to this idea that every decision you've ever made is simply an illusion because you, you can't decide anything. Your chemical reaction, you are dependent upon this system that is growing inside of you, that your body is a, a mechanism unto itself. It thinks for itself. It reacts to itself. And, and friends, that there is no free world. We are just material matter driven by our chemicals that, that drive our body, right? Stephen Hawkins, again, a brilliant man, very famous atheist, very outspoken atheist. He speaks powerfully about this idea of determinism, that we're just a chemical reaction. We can't help where we end up in life. Uh, and he says this, because uh, we are biological without a creator God, everything about man is determined because of physics. You have little choice in the matter. But then he writes this in, in, in one of his books. He says, Quote, but I have noticed that even people that claim everything is predestined and we can do nothing to change it look before they cross the road. And I don't mean to belittle him, but it's funny because he, he says in a world where, there, where we have no choice, we still live as if we have a choice, right? You see, if we embrace atheism, where does it lead us? Ultimately, it says that you have no control over who or what you become in this world. You have no choice. You can't choose to get better at something, to change something, to grow something, to become something that, that you're not naturally. That's where it leads. And here's a third thought, or a third idea, that I think if we get around this idea that there is no God, it leads to some, some rational conclusions. And this one's probably the most disturbing of them all. You ready for this? There is this... With atheism, there is this illusion of value. You see, in a world where there is no personal God or creator God involved at all, uh, where evolution determines who and what we become, there is no inherent value inside of humanity. You follow me on this? There's no inherent value. All value, listen, all value, not just monetary value, but, but anything that you value in life, your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, your, your friends, your, your parents, your peace, your joy, it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. Value is important to us, right? And we leverage it every single day. All of us make value judgments every single day. But atheism says that there is no real value because it is just a result of biology. And so when we espouse all of these certain ideas, right, when um, when we think about this idea of like justice, right? We talk about uh, equality and fairness for everybody. That's impossible in the world of atheism. 
right? Because we think that all men and women and children are created equally, that they, are, they possess certain value because they are a creation of God. But in the worldview of atheism, that seems almost impossible because all things do not evolve the same way. And all human development is not the same, period. It's just not. And so this leads to this idea that, that we can make value judgments, right? That we can ascribe certain people are more valuable than other people. And I don't know that we want to live that way. I don't know that we want to end there. Am I right? Come on. Anybody follow me on this? So there's a couple more, just real quick, I just want to throw out at you because I think it's really important. And these seem to be more typical arguments that you probably have heard about, but I think they're just very important to consider because this is where I think this idea of atheism ends. Like, this is the worldview that we develop with atheism. And, and, and it's this, it's this idea that it's the illusion of design. It's the illusion of design. Um, it's this idea that says that we, or something comes from nothing. Still, in science today, there is this huge mystery around where did it all begin? Maybe someday science will determine where it all began, but, but currently, certainly there is no coherent uh, hypothesis of where everything came from. Like, that is one thing that's very clear in the world of science right now. None of these guys think that they figured it out where we have come from. You see, we talk about the Big Bang. Anybody hear, heard of the Big Bang? Right? There's this idea out there, and many, many people, it seems to be the predominant worldview of how we got here, but they say there, there was this bang that occurred in a moment, in an instant. Everything that is material that we know today came into existence, starting at this one moment that, that everything that has to do with matter and time and space and materialism, it all came into existence at the moment of this big bang. The problem is, of course, is what? Who and what made the bang? Because you ultimately can go back far enough and you go, okay, whatever it is that you say we came from, what brought that into existence? And so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, we have to wrestle with what was at the beginning. Was there a design for the designed? Was there a designer behind all, the, all that we see in this world today? Uh, and it's interesting, as a matter of fact, Richard Dawkins, again, one of the most famous atheists that's ever lived, he writes about this. He says this, quote, cosmology, that's the study of the beginnings. It's the study of the universe. It's the study of how things came to be. He says, cosmology is waiting on its Darwin. We are still waiting for someone to come along and give us an explanation of why there is anything at all. So here is one of the most famous atheists saying at the end of the day, Darwin explains how things evolve forward but nobody has explained how it all came to be in the first place, right? And so, I just think if you extrapolate this out, we, or you, or me, if we embrace this idea of atheism, if we move away from theism, if we move away from the faith of our childhood, if we move away from the faith of the God of the Bible, then ultimately we have to get around this idea that that life can come from nothing. We have to get around this idea that out of nothing comes something. And friends, I just think that that's something that we have to wrestle with. I have a huge problem with that personally. It's a mystery to say the least. 
There's one more thing I just want to throw at you, and I think it's just important. And it's this, that after the first life, right? After the first life, natural selection is responsible for all life. This is where atheistic thinking starts and ends, right? It's this idea that natural selection got us from here to here, right? And, and so I think this is, I could call this the illusion of complexity, right? After the first life, natural selection is responsible for all of life. This is what Darwin taught us, right? That that he didn't explain how life got here, but he tried to explain that, that, that the, after the first life, that random, natural, spontaneous selection gave us the complexity for everything that we have around us. The complexity of all of life came from this ever and never ending evolutionary process. So, so check this out. Follow this closely. It's taken out of the God Delusion book by Richard Dawkins. Listen to this. He, he tries to celebrate natural selection. He tries to, to, tries to actually elevate that, that worldview in this little section here. And I'm just, this, these are his words. I'm not changing any of them. It's straight out of his book. Check this out. He says, I want you to think about it. Think about it. On one planet, he's talking about this idea of natural selection, okay? On one planet, the possible and possibly the only planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running and jumping and swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other such animated chunks of complexity capable in some cases. Now, I want to pause for a second. You see what he's saying? He's saying, that somehow, and you've heard this term before, that there are the that you're, you're stardust. Have you heard this before? That you go to school and they say that you're you're a result of stardust. He's saying that there is this dust out there, and that given enough time, these dusts just kind of put themselves together. These star rocks, molecules, like microscopic, like like this, like they're like this, like it, this, this little piece of dust. If given enough time if given enough billions of years that it's going to create something so complex that you can run and jump and breathe and eat and you'll eat other things that eat. He's saying that this is how we all got here. And then he says this. As a matter of fact, they become so complex in some cases, uh, they are capable of thinking and feeling and falling in love with other chunks of complex matter. Now, I admit that this guy is a lot smarter than me. I, I understand he's got a lot more letters after his name and I am just a dumb preacher and I am just a dumb rougher. I'm okay with that. But when, but when I read this, this idea that, that this can become all of this, that this can create something so complex as my wife, To me, that sounds like a miracle. If nothing else, it sounds like a miracle to me. And when I think about statements like this, this is from one of the smartest guys on the planet, they say. I go, it takes an awful lot of faith to believe that. It takes an awful lot of faith to believe that. I'm not trying to belittle, I'm serious. I'm not trying to convince, I'm just saying that to me, that sounds miraculous in nature. He goes on to talk about this a little further, and he says this, we now understand, thanks to Darwin, again, that's Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution, he says, 
we now understand, thanks to Darwin, how this trick is done. Before Darwin, we had no idea how matter assembled itself into complexity and reproduced itself and got us to where we are today. But thanks to natural selection, we understand how the trick was done. And I want you to think about this, like for me, when I read stuff like this, it, is, it has become almost impossible for me to think about this at a deep level and not, not feel like it sounds like an invisible, personal, intelligent force with an agenda. Let me say that again. When I read stuff like this, it just sounds like an invisible, personal, intelligent force with an agenda. A force that is relentless and disciplined and it's not going to stop and it can't stop. It has this purpose to it. It has this design to it. It has this end game in mind to it. And friends, that sounds dangerously close to God to me. Dangerously close. Atheism leads to its own set of conclusions about purpose, about the value of life for humanity. And you have to decide if that's where you want to end in life. Because when you step away from something, you step toward something else every single time. And atheism says that all of this, at the end of it all, you're from dust and it's the only thing that you amount to. It says that you're meaningless and hopeless. And that's all there is to you. It's all there is to our children. And friends, it's hard to buy. It's just hard to buy. There is an opposite view that is presented. And I don't want to spend too much in the Bible trying to convince you about God because people tend to dismiss the Bible when you're talking about trying to convince them to, to believe in God. But the Bible presents this totally different view of humanity. Here, here's what it says. In the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 139, it says this. You, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And God had his hand on it. And God has his hand on you. That he's shaping you and forming you. And he thought about you even before you were born. That your children are born with purpose and meaning and value. Because God behind it so friends who's lying and who is telling the truth two different worldviews. you end up somewhere I think you need to pick carefully and think about it deeply I'm not here to convince you either way this week I'm really not I just want you to know that you have to choose eventually your worldview, what you're going to ascribe to and so friends, I think that there are those in this room who, who maybe you have, you, you've, you've begun to walk away from the faith of your childhood. You, you've begun to walk away from the God of the Bible. And the problem is, I think for so many of you, it's not that atheism seems so appealing to you. I think it's just that the church and what you know about the God of your childhood seems so unappealing. And friends, maybe you've got the wrong God. Maybe you've got the wrong understanding of who he is if he's that unengaging to you. 
And my hope is for you, if you're in that category, if you kind of found yourself in the nun category or I'm, the, I'm not sure category or I'm on my way out of the church category and I'm not sure if I can believe that whole Bible category, my hope is, my hope is, my hope is, is that you will come for this entire series and that you will join me in it as we answer some of these very hard questions with honest and real and thoughtful answers. There's no reason for you to check out of your faith. There's no reason for you to abandon the faith of the, of the God of the Bible. You, you don't have to abandon it. And for those of you who are already checked out, who have already said, I don't believe. I don't believe. You can't convince me to believe. Friends, I'm just asking that you give us a couple weeks together. That you would just have an open heart. You've listened to so much information from the world. And I'm just asking you, humbly, just asking you, would you come for the next four, five, six weeks together as we dive deep into this? And would you come with an open heart saying, okay, I'm, I'm willing to at least hear. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to op be open to this. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. So are you going to join me? Are you going to join me? I hope that you do. So here's what we're going to do. I know uh, this might seem a little bit odd to some people in the room. Maybe a friend invited you, but this is church. Uh, we think it's normal to pray to an unseen God. Uh, and so I would like to invite everybody in this room, whether you believe or don't believe, or maybe you're somewhere in between. Um, I would invite you just to, to humbly bow your head for a moment and, and I'll do the talking. I'll do the talking. And maybe you would just open your heart a little bit and maybe you'll let my words be a catalyst for you to talk to God if he's out there at all. So maybe you would say something like this. Dear God, over the next uh, few moments, if you're real at all, over the next few weeks, um, I open myself to you. Um, I'm willing to hear from you. I'm willing to be challenged in my set of beliefs. If you're out there, I give you permission to show me yourself. Show me yourself. So Father in heaven, I pray for each person in this room. God, I pray that, um, that your spirit would gently speak into the lives of men and women. God, that you would open their hearts. And God, whatever is unsettled, whatever questions that might lie in front of them, I pray that they would have the tenacity to seek truth, the tenacity to go after truth, to be willing to engage it, to be thoughtful, to be purposeful. God, speak. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen.